Welcome to the Karis Christian Center podcast. The John chapter 19 and verse 30. Of course, we said this last week, but I think it bears repeating. In the first 17 chapters of the gospel of John, we see the plan of redemption. But in the last four chapters, chapter 18 through chapter 21, we see a picture of redemption. And in John chapter 19, I want you to remember this one verse, verse 30. Jesus said three beautiful words. He said, it is finished. Amen? It is finished. The price has been paid. Your salvation has been paid for. Your redemption has been paid for. Your righteousness has been paid for. Your freedom has been paid for. It is finished. Praise God, isn't that awesome? What paid for it? The blood of Jesus Christ. You know, in Hebrews 9, verse 22, it says, without the shedding of blood, there shall be no remission of sins. That means the absolute pardon of our sins as if they were never committed. Amen? Thank God for the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus paid the price for our salvation, for our forgiveness, for our righteousness, for our redemption, praise God. And really, this is, this is a picture of that. So it's a beautiful picture. We'll begin reading in John chapter 19, verse 1. This is talking about Jesus taking our judgment. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. He beat him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. Now, when you look At John 19 and verse 2, when it says the soldiers planted this crown of thorns and and they put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe, they were actually mocking him. But, you know, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through verse 19, immediately after Adam sinned in the garden, God said the ground will be cursed and you will labor and toil and sweat, and it will bring forth thorns and thistles. Praise God. Jesus came to break the curse. Hallelujah. Galatians 3, verse 13 and verse 14 says this. Christ has, past tense, hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Verse 14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the curse has been broken. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. In fact, if you study Deuteronomy 28, the first 14 verses are the blessings, and the last 54 verses are the curses. And in the curse... Man was cursed with sickness, poverty, slavery, and death. Jesus came to redeem us from the curse of the law. So we are redeemed from the curse of sickness, poverty, slavery to sin, and spiritual death. And when Jesus comes again, he'll redeem us from that last enemy of physical death. He will put it under his feet when he comes again. And so Jesus came to break every curse. Verse 3 said, they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. 
Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Pilate says this over and over again. You see, Jesus, we read it last week in 1 Peter 3, he was the just dying for the unjust, being put to death in the flesh that he might bring us to God. Hallelujah. Isn't that marvelous? Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, behold the man. We see the humanity of Jesus, the son of God, became the son of man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, we have a law, and by our law he should die because he made himself the son of God. John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said this when he was in an argument with some religious leaders. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And he was saying, I am the eternal God. You know, when he died, when he was on the cross from noon till about three o'clock, it talks about this in Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through verse 47. It says, a great darkness covered the earth. In Mark 15, verse 39, it tells us that the centurion who was overseeing his crucifixion said, surely this must have been the son of God. When Pilate heard that saying, he was more afraid and he went into the judgment hall and said to Jesus, who are you? But Jesus did not answer. Then Pilate said, don't you speak to me? Don't you know that I have the power to crucify you? And I have the power to release you. Jesus said, you couldn't have any power at all against me except it were given you from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto you has the greater sin. And from that point, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, if you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was about the preparation of the Passover, about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, behold, your king. And they cried, away with him, away with him, crucify him. And Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest said, we have no king but Caesar. Now, this is really interesting, but when you study this out, in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says, he came to his own and his own received him not. Verse 12 says, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. So when you begin to understand this, the Jewish nation as a whole rejected Jesus. He came to his own and his own received him not. There was a purpose in that. If you read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul says the Jews essentially, right, the olive tree, they were they were cut off that the Gentiles, part of a wild olive tree, might be grafted in. But he said, in the last days, God will graft the Jews in again. So we believe there will be a great revival in the nation of Israel in the last days. Now, thinking about that, 
all the time while Jesus was on the earth. He told his disciples over and over again, don't go to any of except the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But after they crucified him, right? And he was raised from the dead. Jesus came to his disciples and said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved and he who believes not shall be damned. And these signs will follow them that believe. Praise God. So he changed, right? After they rejected him. Verse 16 says, then delivered he him therefore to be crucified and they took Jesus and let, led him away. Jesus took our judgment. Pilate says over and over again, I find no fault in him. Praise God. But Jesus, who was the righteous one, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says, became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became a sin offering for us. He was judged in our place. Not only was he judged in our place, but he was crucified in our place. Verse 17, we continue reading. He bearing his cross went forth into a place that is called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. So if they haven't, I'll have them put up the picture of Golgotha. I want you to see this. They uh, uncovered this in either the late 1800s or early 1900s. And it's the hill of the skull. You can see a skull plainly. And that is just north of the walled city of Jerusalem, Golgotha, the way they, the place they crucified him. Where they crucified, it's also called Gordon's Calvary. Now, as Jesus was crucified there, Hebrews chapter 13 says this in verse 10. We'll read verse 10 through verse 12 of Hebrews 13. It says, we have an altar whereof they have no right which to eat, which serve in the tabernacle. Jesus is our altar. The altar represents man's approach to God. And we approach God through Christ. He says in verse 11, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered on the outside of the gate. This Golgotha that they showed you is just on the north, you know, maybe two or 300 yards of the walled city of Jerusalem where they crucified him. It's at the main crossroads of the road going from the, the main road going east and west in Israel and the main road running north and south. They wrote his name in three different languages when they crucified Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Notice they crucified him with two thieves. I want you to turn with me to Luke 23. We'll read verses 38 through 43, Luke 23, 38 through 43. A superscription also was written over him in letters Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the evildoers, which was hanged, railed on him and said, if you be the Christ, save yourself. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, don't you fear God, seeing you are in the same condemnation? 
and we indeed die justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, verily I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now this is really amazing. These two thieves, they represent all of humanity. They represent those who have not believed, right? The one who railed on him. And they represent those who have believed. You know, Aaron preached a wonderful message on this not very long ago. And he, he talked about, what, you know, this is probably the hardest time in all of Jesus' life to recognize him as Lord. And here this thief on the cross calls on him as Lord. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. What does that mean, paradise? I believe in the Old Testament they had a place of one who was believing on the Savior to come. It was called Abraham's bosom, right? In the Redeemer who was to come. And all people who believed in redemption to come would, when they died, would go to Abraham's bosom or paradise. Now, when Jesus died, I believe that first thing he did was he went to the, went to the grave and he conquered the enemy, this is what I think. I may be wrong, and if you believe something else, that's okay. I don't care. I'm just going to give you my opinion. But Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8 says, He took captivity captives and gave gifts to men. Colossians 2, verse 14 says, He blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us and took it out of the way. You know, nailing it to his cross, having forgiven us for all trespasses. And verse 15 says, and he spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So I, I believe Jesus first went and dealt with the devil and he took captivity captive. He spoiled him. He took him captive. But then I believe he went to paradise, Abraham's bosom. And I believe he preached to those all of those Old Testament saints, all of those who had died before that time and were waiting in paradise and he preached to them and he emptied paradise and took paradise into the presence of God. Now today, if you die as a believer, you go immediately to be in the presence of God as a believer. Paul said, for to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so I thank God that when we leave this body, amen, we go and we are present with Jesus. Amen. We are present with the Lord. Hallelujah. So thank God for this work that Jesus did. And he was there and he emptied, I believe he emptied paradise. He emptied Abraham's bosom and took it into the presence of God. Now what happens in the future? If we die today, my spirit and my soul right? They go to be with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. My body goes to the grave, goes to the dirt, right? Wherever it is, my body, right? But when Christ comes again, what's going to happen for all of those who believe in Jesus? We're going to get a brand new body. We're going to get a glorified, immortal, eternal body that is never going to have to deal with some of the things that we deal with in this body, 
And Paul said it this way in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. He said, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those of us who are alive and remain, we shall be caught up together with them in the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we can comfort one another, praise God, with these words of, of God, with these words. Amen? Thank God. So if I die, don't come cry over the hole in ground. Amen? Because I'm not there. My spirit and my soul have went to be with God. Amen? Hallelujah. And when Christ comes again, I'm going to get a brand new glorified body, one that's never going to deal with some of the challenges and difficulties that we dealt with in this physical body. Amen? So hallelujah. Now, I'm believing to live a good, long, healthy, strong life. I'm believing not to check out early. But in eternity... Whatever we time we have here is pretty short compared to eternity. And I want to live forever in the presence of my Savior and my King. So I thank God for the hope that we have in the gospel. So Jesus took our judgment. And Jesus was crucified, as we look at the scripture, in our place. Praise God. Now, in verse 19, Pilate wrote this title. And put it on the cross, and the, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title read many of the Jews, for the place was where Jesus was crucified, was near to the city. Again, Golgotha, maybe, maybe two or three hundred yards just north of the old city of Jerusalem, the walled city. The title read that, and, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews, of the Jews to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but write, he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate answered, what I've written, I've written. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garment and made four parts to every soldier apart, also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it. But cast lots for it, for it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Do you know, there are three uh, prophecies of Christ in John chapter 19 that are just word for word specifically fulfilled. And when you, when you see this, it's really amazing in Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is a prophecy of Jesus on the cross. It begins with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You know why God forsook Jesus. God forsook Jesus because he laid on him the, the sin, the iniquity, the rebellion of us all. And so he could not look on sin. So when he looked away, I, I can feel that separation. But Jesus, amen, died in our place, and he took our sin. So this is just one of them, but there are three. You know, Jesus literally fulfilled hundreds of, of scriptures, very specific details about his life, about his death, about his resurrection. When he came, when he walked on this earth, that's why we know who he was. I mean, the odds are one in millions, millions. And I don't have what, but there's just literally amazing Verse 25, this is another thing we look at, you know, 
when they parted his vesture. You know, this was a rich man's garment. Some people think that Jesus didn't have anything, you know, physically when he walked on the earth. Well, he traveled with 12 men and he paid the bills. I'm telling you just to travel with Pastor Barbara. Costs a little bit of money. Now in the pandemic, we did really good. I mean, in the pandemic when nobody was traveling, Barbara and I, we were getting rooms for $60 a night that were regular $500 a night. Now those same rooms are $1,000 a night. Ellen, we don't, we don't spend that. God supplies all my needs. But what I'm saying, you don't travel with 12 guys and it don't cost some money. Jesus had a, a treasurer that stole from the bag. Now, you know what? If you got a treasure that's stealing from the bag and you got $10 and he takes one, you know it. So there had to be some money coming in and going out for that man, you know, for that thief, Judas, to be pilfering from the bag. And so, um, you know, that's just one of the things. But, you know, it, I mean, Jesus barely showed up on earth and three rich men showed up that had traveled several hundred to several thousand miles to get there. Now, if I was rich and I came to give an offering to a king that heaven was telling me to come to, I'm not going to bring $20. <laughs> Hallelujah. In fact, Peter Daniels from Australia spoke in our church a couple of times. He figured it out. He thinks the offerings that they gave Jesus when he was just a young child, something like $4 million. That's just a get your religion out of you, get you thinking a little bit different, you know, because people think you can't have nothing. You say, well, he who was rich became poor. Yes, any condition on earth would be considered poor with where he come from. And it's really that 2 Corinthians 8, 9, that's talking about right now. What we're talking about right now, John 9, that's talking about Jesus on the cross. He took our poverty. He took our sickness. He took our anxiety and he took our sin. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. This was the compassion of Jesus reaching out to his mother with his half-brother there. You see, there was a tradition in the Hebrew society, right? If the father died, then it was the oldest son's responsibility to take care of the mother. And, and so Jesus said, listen, he was the oldest one. I'm getting ready to go. So you take care of your mother. So here's your son. And he said to this disciple, behold your mother. From that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So Jesus not only took our judgment, but Jesus was crucified in our place. In fact, Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Not only did Jesus take our judgment with Jesus crucified for us, but Jesus took our death. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, 
And they filled the sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. He gave up his spirit. In fact, there were seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. They were all very significant. This one is literally amazing. It is finished. Redemption is paid for. The curse has been broken. Your salvation, your redemption, your righteousness have been paid for. Luke chapter 23, verse 46 says that, you know, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He literally gave up the spirit. Hallelujah. He laid down his life. He gave his life. The reason that I believe that Jesus had to become a man was so that he could die and through dying conquer the devil and conquer death in the grave. You can read about it in Hebrews chapter 2. Then Jesus, therefore, because it was a preparation that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day. For the Sabbath day was a high day. He sought Pilate that their legs might be broken and they might be taken away. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other which were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already and did not break his legs. This is another fulfillment of prophecy. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side and forthwith there came out blood and water. You know, when they pierced his side with that Roman spear, ran it up his side. It says it came forth blood and water. He had been dead for a period of time before they did that. What had happened is the red blood cells had separated from the white blood cells. And so when it ran out of him, it appeared to be blood and water. Amen? Jesus was dead. You know, you don't bury people that aren't dead. Hallelujah. Some of the religions try to say that Jesus was only in swoon, that he wasn't dead. Jesus was dead. He was completely dead. He had been dead for a period of time right here. He that saw it bear record, and his record is true, and he knows that he said it's true that you might believe. John said, I saw this. I'm willing to go to death I'm willing to be a martyr for this confession that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, that Jesus is Lord. For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him should not be broken. Actually, in Psalm 34, verse 20, that is a scripture that prophesies that. Also, in Exodus 12, verse 46, talking about the Passover lamb, the scripture says that they were to burn the whole thing and, and a bone of it wasn't, it was, you know, every bit it was to be eaten wasn't, what wasn't eaten was to be burned. God said, listen, I don't want any of that sin, remembrance of sin to be here anymore, but a bone of that Passover lamb being a type of Christ was not to be broken. Again, the scripture says, in verse 37, they will look on him, they pierce. That's in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. So Jesus fulfills these three very specific, you know, scriptures about his vesture, and they cast lots for it, about his bone not being broken, 
about they look on him whom they pierced. He also fulfills many other general prophecies. Isaiah 53, the man of sorrows, Christ on the cross. Jesus is fulfilling this right here. And so Jesus, number one, took our judgment. Jesus was crucified in our place. Number two, Jesus took our death. But what happened after that? He was buried. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, in verse 38, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes and a hundred pounds weight. You know, when Jesus was born, when the three kings came, they brought him gifts of gold to honor him as a king, of frankincense to honor him as a priest, and of myrrh to honor him as a man who would die. Here they used myrrh in his death. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes, linen cloths with spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb or sepulcher where never a man was laid. There they laid Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was near at hand. When they read the scriptures, we find out this was the tomb, right, of Joseph of Arimathea. He was a wealthy individual. Now, I want you to show the picture of the garden tomb. Show the picture first of the outside of it. And uh, there they have it. And so probably within 200 years, 200 yards, it's a little bit west, maybe a little bit northwest of the hill of the school. You know, like 200 yards. You, they found this garden tomb. And you can see there's a place at the bottom. And, and when you're there and can see more of a picture, they had a place for the stone to roll. Do you know they only found three tombs in all of the Jerusalem area that were cut in the stone that had a stone that rolled? So Jesus was there, and it was in a garden. Do you know right in front of that tomb, maybe 20 yards, there's a wine press that they had to deal with the fruit of the garden. They also found just, just close to this wine press, there, there's a very large cistern. It's the third largest cistern that they found in all of the Jerusalem area, including the city. Why did they have all this water in a cistern outside of the city? They had it so they could water the garden. He was buried in a garden. It was, they said, you know, a new tomb. They laid Jesus there because of the Jews' preparation for the sepulcher is near at hand. So, you know, it, it was close to where they crucified him. Now, as we look at some other scriptures, some other scriptures tell us in uh, Mark chapter 15, let's look at Mark 15. I just want to show you these. These are, these are amazing things when you really look at them and consider them. I believe that this is the exact place where Jesus was buried. And Mark chapter 15, verse 45, um, 
to verse 46. When he knew it of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph and he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in his sepulcher. Notice this, which was cut out of a rock. It was hewn in the stone. Show the other picture of the inside of the tomb. Uh, the inside of the tomb shows that it was cut in the stone. So this was a very wealthy person's tomb. They've only found three of these tombs that are cut in the stone in the whole Jerusalem area that have a stone that rolls. And this one is like, like I say, less than 200 yards probably from, from Golgotha. You know, it, you know it, the, Sabbath, the Sabbath was near at hand. Of course, the Jews are very strict about the Sabbath. My son Andrew lives in a Jewish neighborhood in Denver, in Cherry Creek. They have marks on the street. They can't go past this certain distance on the Sabbath. Somebody asked me the other day, I think I answered this before, why, why do we worship on Sunday? Why don't we worship on Saturday? Because Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. Because the Holy Spirit was sent and the church was born on Sunday. Hallelujah, because Paul said, on the first day of the week when you gather together, lay aside such as God has prospered you. Amen? That's why we celebrate on Sunday. Hallelujah. But the Jews have very specific rules. And they said, I said, you know, we don't really keep the, you know, you look at this in a different way. You look at, you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain as cussing. Right? The Jews won't even say the name of God. You see, they, they take a, it's, it's a whole lot different than when you look at the Ten Commandments, what you see and what they see. And there's a lot more than the Big Ten. Amen? Hallelujah. So Jesus fulfilled all of these. Now, when we go back to John, John 19, Jesus was there. He, you know, buried in a garden in a new tomb that was cut. I believe that's the exact place, right, that they laid him. And when they found that tomb, Jesus was not there. Now, what does the burial of Jesus mean to us? You know, the Bible talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I always talk about the DBR changed everything. Amen? What does the burial represent? In his death, he took our sin, right? But what does the burial mean? Well, the burial, let's turn to Romans chapter six and let me show you something really quickly in Romans chapter six, verse four and verse five. But Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I preached to you the gospel that I received that was delivered unto me, that Christ died and he, according to the scriptures, and he was buried and he was raised again the third day according to the scriptures. He said, if you believe that gospel, amen, you are saved. Now, here in Romans 6, verse 4 and 5, it says, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into his death. So when I was baptized, I'm saying I died to sin. Hallelujah. And I've been buried. Like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we should walk in the newness of life. So not only do I identify with his death, I identify with his burial, and I identify with his resurrection. In his death, I died to sin. In his resurrection, I lived to God. But what does burial mean? He says in verse five, 
For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we will also, and I'm adding, be raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Amen. So what does the burial mean? In fact, there are seven aspects of identification. I was crucified with Christ, right? I died with Christ. I was buried with Christ. I was made alive with Christ. I was seated with Christ. Praise God. And I reign with Jesus Christ. Amen. Seven aspects. Crucified with Christ, buried with Christ, died with Christ, made alive with Christ, raised with Christ, seated with Christ, and I reign with Jesus Christ. And when you begin to understand what it means to be buried, Jesus said, except the corn of wheat fall to the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. What burial is talking about is we have a brand new identity. And a seed goes in the ground one way. But when it comes up, it comes up another way. And so you have a brand new identity in Jesus that's why he's talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus change everything. Amen. And you begin to identify with that death. You say, I died to sin, but praise God, I've been buried, and I've come up a new way, and I'm living a new life. And that old life doesn't have a hold on me anymore. When you begin to understand, see, we've got too much of the church just living on the backside of the cross. That's the church I grew up in. And you know, in that, in that part of the church, we're always talking about, you know, get saved, repent, don't sin, repent, don't sin. Don't, and we're so focused on sin. But when you come through that cross and you come onto the other side and you begin to reign and you begin to live with Jesus and allow Jesus to live his life through you, you live in a completely different way. Because you say, it's not all those things that I'm giving up. Listen, you didn't give up the good life. The good life is in Christ. Hallelujah. It wasn't the good old boys with the good old boys. Amen. The good life's in Christ. And when you begin to find that out, praise God, you walk out of the darkness and you walk into the light and you say, hallelujah, I'm glad to be living with Jesus. I'm glad that I got a brand new identity in Christ. And so when we talk about the death burial and resurrection of Christ. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about a physical fact. I believe it's a physical fact. I believe that history bears it out. I believe that archaeology bears it out. But more than that, I believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a physical reality that changed you spiritually and gave you a brand new spiritual identity. And when you identify with the life of Christ, you begin to live on the other side of that Christ cross. You begin to live in the light. You begin to live in the life. You begin to live like who God said that you are in Christ. And when you begin to understand that, it changes your life for good. Amen. Love you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.